Okay, everyone, um, I'm very excited to be joined today by three members of the Australian Federation Party uh, to discuss their environmental uh, policies and initiatives around those policies. Um, gentlemen, welcome to the Bellman Report. Uh, can I please ask you each to introduce yourselves? And I'll start, we'll go anti-clockwise. Andrew, could you start with your introduction, please? Well, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for that. Look, I'm, um, I'm Andrew Messia. I run a company called Urban, Urban Green Farms. Um, we primarily focus on um, alternative, alternative growth methods for food um, as well as sustainable methods as well. But we also vertically inter integrated in regenerative agriculture. Um, so we, we do everything from products all the way through to STEM education, all the way through to uh, policy advisory, um, innovation, innovation funds, um, the whole to whole plethora of anything that's got to do with soil and plants, we can we can do it. Okay, and we'll definitely be getting into much more about that very soon. Uh, Peter, after you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Peter Harris, um, I uh, am part of the Stand Up Australia. Uh, tour program that we've been on since February uh, 2021, travelling around with my wife Ruby and our kids in our caravan and our dog, can't forget the dog. Mm -hmm. And um, during that process, um, we have uh, activated politically. I started a party in 2003 called Family First at a federal level and uh, had quite a lot of success. And we just decided that we needed to activate politically because of the problems we're seeing across the country. And so I'm now chair of a party called the Australian Federation Party. Thank that you. will be running 151 candidates across the country in the lower house and Senate teams across all states and territories at this uh, 2022 federal election. Lovely. Thank you very much. And Aidan? Uh, yeah, Hi. Hi, nice to see you, uh, Andrew, Andrew and Peter. My name is Aidan Guru. I'm actually running as a candidate for the Perth electorate in Western Australia for the House of Representatives. Uh, so I'm a, an underground miner by trade, uh, and now I've uh, taken the, the leap to get involved in politics. So very excited to, to be here and to have a voice for my community. Thank you very much, Aidan. Um, and of course, Aidan and I know each other not not really well, but we're we're getting to know each other quite well now. So, um, welcome everyone. Uh, this is uh, I just wanted to open by saying that um, uh, as a little bit of a preface for everybody watching, that um, I've got to say this is probably the most exciting um, concept that I've ever become aware of. Um, in this day and age where uh, everything's about the environment and all this fear-mongering around um, global warming and so on and so forth, and uh, the, the, the only solution to that seems to be uh, you humans are terribly bad and you're killing the planet and therefore you must die. Uh, so um, to, to hear about the policies that you guys are putting in place, and of course um, for everyone who hasn't seen the documentary Kiss the Ground, that's essentially what this um, discussion is revolving around, I think is a fair, fair way to put it, uh, finally uh, is this very refreshing uh, solution 
to this problem. And it's, I think, really the first actual solution that I've ever heard. Um, and I'm shocked that um, this isn't more widely known, and yet it makes such perfect sense. Uh, so, Peter, what I'd like to do is start with you. Um, could you speak to me a little bit about how you and Andrew got together and what kind of, just in a pretty uh, basic format, what are, what are your policies all about? Well, I, th- I think um, really it was a progressive um, enlightening um, for us because we were travelling around the country and um, uh, I think probably the thing that opened my eyes the most was talking to farmers in the Riverina and uh, the Riverina Food Bowl where they told me they were once producing $20 billion worth of food but they're now producing $2 billion worth of food and farmers are going broke and struggling and, um, and coming to the realisation that Malcolm Turnbull's commoditisation of water had led to foreign ownership and the fact that um, there's all of these silly disputes about the flow of water. Mm. Um, so I guess that was my first eye-opener uh, as we were travelling and, 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 and that was, um, I guess, uh, led me to the next step of realising that the problem in our country isn't just the last two years of incompetence, mismanagement, corruption, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's been going on for decades. Mm. And it's actually really holistic across every element and every area of our lives. And what I came to the conclusion was that really the uh, major political parties and their cohorts, the Greens and the Nationals, um, have really devastated our country, devastated our economy and um, have divided our nation. Uh, We can't seem to find any unity or common agreement. Um, So... I guess when I triggered the fact that we were going to uh, run a political party and contest this election coming up federally, uh, I, I began looking for people that could help us develop really logical but innovative and creative policies that were going to change our country. Uh, and I guess when I met Andrew just over 12 months ago, uh, he enlightened me to soil regeneration and uh, kiss. Uh, kiss the ground and all of the initiatives that are out there on these on these fronts and I wondered why other political parties actually hadn't embraced such a logical concept Mm. um, of you know uh, carbon and water retention in healthy soil the fact that um, the chemical companies are imposing chemicals and um, and also GMO seeds on our farmers and really uh, killing our soils so it made so much um, uh, logic for me to really get an understanding and embrace this policy in particular that has such massive ramifications across the country. You know, it's about uh, national security and it's about quality, healthy food production. It's about uh, ridding our country of uh, toxins and chemicals that are creating massive health issues in our population. So this is a really really important holistic policy area um, where we can fix so many issues by um, by teaching our farmers um, about soil regeneration and about um, producing crops that are healthy for consumption and I guess that was our starting point and we spent a day together 
unpacking all of these things plus plenty of other things and uh, we've we connected and built we've built a relationship from there fantastic and andrew could you explain to the audience a little more about what regeneration is so regenerative agriculture and regen in terms of soil works in a number of ways we're basically in short we're switching on what's been switched off mm-hmm. right so Soil, soil is living. It's got its own biology. Um, it's got its own communication pathways. It's almost, it's endemic. It's almost identical to, you know, the human gut in the way it functions, um, which is why we're connected, um, you know, with the soil. Uh, you know, we are connected with the planet. Mm-hmm. And for us, in terms of, you know, soil, it, it works a very similar way to the human gut. So same way that we've got biomes within our gut and we've got beneficial bacteria and you've got bad bacteria, you've got good bacteria, soil is is managed the same way. Mm. Now, um, in this case, if I was to say, for example, um, you know, we've got everything from bacteria, you've got gut, you've got gut microbiology and you've got all sorts of things that, that happen within the human within the human gut, but if I was to avoid that out and stop it somehow, um, say through a particular drug um, that essentially suppresses your immune system, you're then relying on external inputs for your to be able to function. Mm. Um, and that generally happens through, you know, say if I had to give you a lung today because you needed a lung transplant, what would happen to your body? Your body would reject it. Um, that's what happens to soil when we're placing foreign foreign chemicals and call it GMOs, you know, into the soil. It's foreign RNA going into the DNA of the soil, and over a duration of time, suppresses it, the soil's immune system, well, the soil's immune system, and essentially kills off all the microbiology, um, the microorganisms, and as, as well as the pathways of communication between fungus and protozoa and all these different areas that that are soil biology, um, which means at that point the farmer turns around after a couple of years and has a look at their soil, their plants are now riddled with pests, so-called pests. There's nothing, I don't believe there's anything called a pest. I think it's part of the biology and part of the ecosystem. If the part ecosystem of the balance, yeah. Balance. And what, they've, what we've done is over the past 40, 50 years of this big experiment, that we've been running this big modern agricultural experiment is that we've killed the immune system of the planet hmm. and it's resulting in desertification at a rate that we've never seen before. And can, um, can you explain to the audience what desertification is? Because I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of that term. So what happens is desert, desertification is basically the drying out the soil. Right, and that happens because there's no micro, there's no microbiology, in it, or the, you know, all the microorganisms have died out. And when chemicals hit, when 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 chemicals are dropped onto soil, what happens is they're they're positively charged at the beginning as they drop down, and they sit in the aggregates of the soil. And as certain certain things happen, it comes back up again. And once it hits the soil again, and, and oxygen's released it becomes negative and then it draws into the soil and kills all the microbiology mm. and kills the pathways. So then what happens is as the soil, just like a human being, if I had to give you a lung, 
you'd be immunosuppressed. You'd have to take an immunosuppressant to accept it, which means then you're susceptible to reoccurring infections, cancer, all sorts of issues. It's the same thing with the soil. We've compromised the soil's immune system, which means it starts to die away. Mm. Uh, just a human being would if you, if I gave you a foreign object in your body. Mm. It, it eventually kills the host. We're killing the host, and we're doing that because of what we're doing to the soil. And eventually, over a duration of time, what it does is it dries out the aggregates. It stops the soil's ability from absorbing water, which means we use a lot more. Um, and as it goes down into the water systems, it creates salinity. And so that water then comes back in and all we're doing is, is repeating the cycle and then you have to use more water. And as this water reaches the farm gates, for example, in Victoria, we've got the, um, the Wyndham Council, that, that area in, you know, Werribee. The water that they're receiving over there is 3,500 EC. It's basically salt. They're wow. pouring salt on salt. Mm. So we're only making the problem worse. Worse, yeah. And look, um, I'd like to bring this back to uh, normal uh, issues around environment for the for, for the regular person. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> every, no, you, you're fine, mate. Um, everyone's aware that... Uh, or maybe not everyone agrees, but the the big the big point of discussion is that uh, we've got too much CO two in the atmosphere. Um, I find that a little strange, knowing that the ice cores from a- Antarctic and Arctic over, over ten thousand years ago show that there was a lot more in the atmosphere at that time, and life was actually booming. So, for me, this is a, a an interesting point to understand, but. Uh, you mentioned off camera before we started that um, you mentioned the term drawdown. Can you tie that into this discussion for the audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what happens is as soil becomes healthy and as you you start to, as you cover crop and as you use a lot of the techniques that kiss the ground, talk about rotation of animals, what you're doing is you're basically soil... Soil can hold so much carbon, it's, it's incredible. It can, it's essentially the skin of the planet. Now, you know, without skin, you're dead, essentially. So what it does is what our, when you're using certain techniques, you're drawing down, um, you, know, you draw down carbon through the plant, you draw down carbon through the soil. But what we're doing is with modern agriculture, what, what we do is we till it's just like having a bank account that's got $20 trillion in it and over 50 years you just keep chipping away at it, eventually there's nothing left in the bank account. That's exactly what we've done with our soil bank. So yes. when you, you till the ground, you open it up. Um, you open it up. So you yeah. draw out. Actually, It's like ripping a layer of skin off and eventually there's going to be nothing left but bone. Yep. And, and, it, and bone dry is where we're getting to. Um, mm. You know, in some places... There's, it's so desertified now from all the tilling that it just it's creating dust it's creating storms. dust storms mm. everywhere, dust clouds everywhere. Right. You know, we were in Shepparton recently, and that's what it was. It was dust clouds everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So, and what it does as well as as you desertify soil, if there's no plants, what happens is you kill local rain cycles. So, if there's no moisture in the air, there's no humidity. There's no respiration from the plants there's no cover cropping and 
what that does is you lose out 40% of essentially local rains that are created on land, whereas the other 60% is from the ocean. Now, I can guarantee you one thing, if we had more cover cropping um, and we had and we had more beneficial bacteria in our soil and the soil was healthy and we had more diversity in our plants and, and we're also growing hemp in this country effectively, we would be we wouldn't have these fluctuations in weather as much. Okay, okay but to, just to bring that back again, um, <clears throat> so what you're saying is that by growing all these alternative crops in between um, normal harvesting and introducing animals, because I, I want to get into that as well, um, all we hear these days is uh, – Cows are so bad that um, we now need to eat bugs. We, we can't be eating meat. All, it's all this rubbish. It's all part of this globalist agenda. Um, but actually, by introducing the animals with all these uh, other varieties of plant life and using that all in unison together, you can effectively create a composting situation which regenerates the earth, puts the carbon back into the soil and then you're ready to go for another cycle again. Is that correct? Yeah. Partly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, Beautiful. and you should really, this should never really keep the soil bare at any point. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you no more ripping the ground open, new techniques. Um, and I can't remember the name of the machine. You're correct there. It's not new techniques. It's not it's new old. techniques. It's old techniques. It's old techniques. Of, pres of preservation. We just think we're smarter than we are and gone into modern agriculture for mass scale and it's killing the planet. Yes, yes. We've got to go. Yes. And that we're was one of the things. Yeah. So we're coming back to where we, where we were at. That ancient knowledge is um, in many situations proven to be far wiser than we'd ever imagined and, and here's just another point to prove that. Lovely. So, look, Aidan, I'm going to get to you in just a moment, mate. Um Peter, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit more about um, how your policies are going to be implemented for Australian Fed Party um, to bring this more into mainstream. How, how are you proposing to do this? And I think one of the well, things I'd like to add to that, sorry, um, is that uh, Australia, I noticed in, in Kiss the Ground, did sign on to this um, 4 for 1000 initiative that was put forward by the French Minister for Agriculture. Uh, but I, I, I've never heard of this before. I haven't heard any other parties speaking about this. So how do you propose to implement this and get this mainstream, Peter? Well, I think, I think for us... You know, we've we've had a uh, an approach which has been pretty stealthy, to be honest, in terms of building the momentum of our campaign over the last twelve months. I mean, we only decided in April two thousand and twenty one that we were going to contest this election, and you go through um, a, ho a whole lot of um, processes and uh, different different uh, twists and turns, and you've got to pivot. Um, the uh, and and of course you know the Albanese Morrison messing with the um, uh, with the uh, registration of party system um, late last year where we've seen over twenty parties deregistered. We only got our registration through ten days ago, which is a national disgrace. So we've been largely just building an army quietly, travelling around 
um, delivering seminars, talking to groups. And one of the important things we've been doing is road testing messages, different messages to see if they resonate and connect with the Australian people. And I have to say uh, the message of regeneration of soil and uh, as, as a, a very holistic strategy to fix a lot of problems is, is, uh, is very well understood and very well received. So the fact that in the coming days and weeks uh, leading into the election that we'll be running 151 candidates, people are not perceiving that we have the capacity to do that, uh, and, and Senate teams that will have very uh, sensible policy uh, for all Australians, um, and and this is obviously one area of very important and very sensible policy, where Australians can, for the first time, begin to understand that if the soil's regenerated, um, and we stop using chemicals, they're no longer being poisoned, and that you begin to get plentiful food supply at an affordable price across the country, and that it's an issue of national security, all of those messages are different to the message of let's spend billions and billions of dollars on climate change initiatives that mm. just uh, leave the country and, and never result in any outcomes. That's right. Um, it's a financial drain and no, there's no positive, no net positive. And, and, and we see an economic opportunity in this as well through selling you know, uh, carbon credits uh, around the world as a country, you know, massive opportunities for us to deal with this. The other, the other thing we'll be doing and talking about is the billions of dollars that have already been spent by uh, the collection of Labor and Liberal over the number of years since modelling started uh, emerging on climate. Um, it seems to me that we move from one model to the next without ever testing the, um, the depth of the model. So and and the, and and the reliability and and the delivery of the model and it's a little bit like what they've done with COVID decision making over the last two years. They've been using these uh, outlandish models that predict doom and gloom on all people. They drive fear into the population that justifies outrageous reactions. And so we're going to go back and review all these models to see what's really actually happening and how reliable and accurate these models have been. But really, this is the, uh, for us, the answer on dealing with both um, a whole lot of problems in our agribusiness industries um, and primary producers. There's not sufficiency of supply to our primary producers. It's a massive problem. And how it impacts people in the city is food prices, and particularly for organic foods, go through the roof and people can't afford it. Okay. So, so from my perspective, um, the reality is um, we need to start really from the premise of transparency with the Australian people and explaining it in simple terms. And it's not because the Australian people um, uh, are stupid or don't understand. It's because it's never been explained before. And uh, people are busy leading their lives and doing their things. But you know what? When they realise that petrol prices have gone through the roof and food prices have gone through the roof and they can't afford to pay mortgages, even with double incomes, whereas prior to 1975, they could afford to live as a whole family with one income. Yep. We've got to say that our standard of living has dramatically dropped and all of these things are contributors. Um, so, you know, it, it, the, the illogical position we're in with fuel, for example, which affects <laughs> primary producers is that 
Uh, we're meant to have stockpiles of fuel. We're meant to refine fuel onshore. That's right. And, what we, and we don't. And now we're completely reliant on ships from Singapore. Often we've got four days to four weeks supply. Um, and we're completely vulnerable from a national security perspective and completely vulnerable to global pricing. Um, and, you know, they've left us in this position. They're charging an excise, another indirect tax. Um, and they, they, they pretend they're doing the Australian people a favour when they, they cut the excise in half to That's cover right. their own incompetence. Yes, we've so, been sailed down the garden path for the last 20 years. On every front. So our position here is to bring back, if you want to talk about our policies, to bring back logic, to bring back unity, to bring back um, uh, good collaboration and discussion about what are the best policies for Australia with the people, because we're meant to be representing the people in Parliament, Yes, and, uh, and have a set of policies that enable our nation to grow and prosper and be fair for all. Okay. So, Aidan, having heard um, all of these um, things from Andrew and Peter, what I'm really interested to ask you is how will these um, policies affect you if elected into the seat of Perth? Uh, you know, how do you implement this into our community? Yeah, so I think the, the really monumental thing about having this policy here is that we're offering a solution and for the electors and for the community that's really important um, it's a hot topic climate change for people in the community um, and and it's contentious as well because with policies like net zero for example um, there's the risk that it's going to cost jobs it's going to cost industry it's going to hurt our country um, and we're effectively putting ourselves in a position to also be dictated to on an international stage. This gives us the ability to really turn that around, to mm. show you know, the, the resource that our country has, which is not only the land, it's the people. So innovation and free thinking, providing a solution puts our country in a place to now lead the world and to lead by example. And I think that's something that all people in the community can connect with. We have this wealth of experience in this country and we can lead by example and come up with a policy that doesn't hurt everyday Australians. In fact, it's going to support our industry. It's going to support our country. It's going to provide us better food and we're going to fix, you know, the climate issue. It really, for, for everyone in the community, it's just a win-win situation. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it's, it's exciting. So just from a practical standpoint, though, Aidan, um, how, do, you know, how, does the commun how does this affect the community in, in urban areas? Yeah, so we're looking at uh, policy as well revolving around community gardens and communes. Um, mm -hmm. And so Andrew can explain the concept in greater detail um, to you. Uh, he, he's the brains, obviously, of this sort of policy. But what it means for people is that by engaging the community um, and by bringing the community in all electorates, including in the cities, back into farming and sustainability and how we can be good custodians of the earth 
It allows us to have ownership and it allows next generations to have an understanding about what we need to do to actually succeed on the planet. Um, it also means that when there's times of crisis, these community gardens will be able to provide food for the community. And we're really in a lucky country. We shouldn't have anybody anywhere in our country going hungry or thirsty, you know, and, and these are the sorts of policies that the community want to see and will support our communities far into the future. Yeah, and, and does that involve um, the, the documentary uh, covered some initiatives that have taken that are going um, on in uh, California? Does that involve composting procedures? new waste bins, introduction introduction of new waste bins, et cetera, or is there a, an alternative, more practical solution, um, Andrew? Look, composting is great, but there's a problem with composting, especially in Australia, right? Composting can actually be quite detrimental in terms of its, its proliferation of disease, right? We don't, we don't heat up. So we so essentially people are buying you know you know compost. Um, a lot of the times it hasn't been decontaminated properly, right? Um, and as our microbiologists would say, you know they they heat it up to you know 60, 60, 70 degrees Celsius. It's not enough to kill out all the all the all the microorganisms in there that are quite that can be quite harmful and a lot of the disease. So sometimes we're actually we're actually spreading disease a lot more than we're actually healing um you know the soil we're proliferating all sorts of fungus disease um infections bacteria problems by doing that we've when we're composting we need to be able to either heat it up to a, a certain certain capacity it might be 120 degrees or we need to be looking at how we add our beneficial bacteria to it that actually eats it away um, you know, within within three to four days. Right. Is that kill, something that's unique to us, the environment of Australia? No, no, it's a global problem. Um, and that comes back to the root cause. The root issue is when you're putting in seeds into the ground, you're obviously building these crops that are genetically modified as well mm. and with all the pesticides and herbicides. So, okay, you, you're doing a great thing, composting, but you're composting waste that is again the origins of it the dna of it shouldn't really be in our soil in the first place so we're spreading it even further and as these plants grow they obviously build you know as they grow pollen they get pollen shift as well and they end up contaminating other farms right. so composting is is good right but it has to be well treated and it has to be regulated properly um and, you know, and we're seeing a lot of these problems also here in Victoria with chicken manure, you know, for example, um, now, it's, now it's been formally considered a industrial waste. You need to get rid of it and then buy chicken, chicken manure. And there's some speculation as to why that is um, and farmers are confused and farmers are annoyed as to why they can't use their own chicken manure on their farms. And... It's because there's particular theories and studies that are showing that this that that a particular um, you know disease is actually been proliferating through 
the birds them, themselves and right. primarily being COVID. Right. And is this, I mean, um, from a broader perspective, is this something that uh, will alleviate over time as we, if, if these techniques are employed in agriculture and in our communities, um, we slowly remove the chemicals out of the ground, um, we come back into balance, uh, or our soil comes back into balance, I should say, and it, we we end up in a situation where those those kind of issues that you're talking about now become less less and less so. Absolutely, absolutely. But also, but but also, we don't have to slowly do it. We can we can pump this up in a very in a very quick methodology. You know, when people, you know, our our agricultural industry really has a very small understanding or little understanding of biology. They're more chemistry. They want to look at the chemistry side of it because every problem is a nail and every solution is a hammer with these guys. But what we need to look at is how we work with the biology and detox it and clear it out. And that's through the application of beneficial bacteria, um, which is actually called bacillus. They're bacillus strains. Mm -hmm. So beneficial bacteria as well as carbon bases, but not made of lignite. So what they don't understand is most farmers don't understand that when you add beneficial bacteria to soil and you add a lignite coal, which is carbon, you actually stop the ability of the bacteria to do its job. You send it into dormancy. Mm-hmm. So the actual carbon bases need to be made of natural ingredients like sugars or hemp being a major component in carbon drawdown as well. But you did mention before, and I want to go back for a sec, you did mention the problems. Carbon, we talk about carbon and climate change. Carbon's not the actual problem. Mm. It's, it's another, it's, uh, the bigger problem is N2O, which is actually three time, 300 times worse than carbon. So, you know, one tonne of nitrogen oxide is equivalent to 298 tonnes of carbon, of carbon dioxide. So, and it takes the the atmosphere, our atmosphere, 110 years to actually remove it. Um, What we're able to do is we can, and it's it's actually what they call the ozone killer. That's what's causing our problems, our major problems. The whole ozone layer? Worse than that, it's, it becomes a global problem. When you pump N2O into, into the atmosphere, it essentially destroys the entire ozone um, over, a, over a duration of time. But what we can do is by restoring the soil, you can actually unlock these important communication pathways between soil and start to draw down the, N2, the N2O as well. That's the bigger problem. And restore the environment and the atmosphere back into balance. And what kind of time frame are we talking about? If everyone got behind this, how long would it take us to get this back into the right state? That's a very difficult question to answer. And the reason why I can't, I can't give you a clear and definitive answer on that, it's because you never know in terms of what, say, the mining industry is doing. And we can supplement the mining industry and help the mining industry and actually work with them in terms of regenerating even, you know, sections that have been completely debilitated through mining. Um, It all depends on what else we're doing, right? You know, we could fix one area, but then they're logging 
another area, you know, and that's another issue that we need to deal with um, is the logging in this country. So, you know, yeah, what they talk about, say, for example, the Victorian government here talks about carbon emissions. They talk about we need to draw down, we need to be responsible in front of the United Nations and, you know, we need to be part of the net zero. And at the same vein, they're logging the absolute hell out of the Highland regions of Victoria, which is the largest sequester of carbon per acre in the world. Mm. It is the ecological cradle of this state. Perth is in a very similar issue. The logging over there of native old forest is destroying your water sources. It's destroying local rain cycles. And then they try to justify it by saying, it stops bushfires. No, it doesn't. As I've just explained before, when you kill local rain cycles, it's why it's called a rainforest. You actually cause, you actually create more dry environment, more potential for wildfires, more potential for devastation of animals and wildlife. And essentially, you're destroying what we shouldn't actually be controlling in the first place. We should be giving that to the native people of this country, the first people who know how to manage the land better than we can ever do it. Mm. Andrew, if I can jump in there as well. Yeah, please. You know, this is the whole problem uh, with our country is you say, well, how quickly can we achieve this? We can achieve it very quickly, uh, unilaterally, um, if we get rid of Labor and Liberal and, um, and we vote for parties like the Australian Federation Party because we will move unilaterally in the first 100 days of government on these issues. Um, and, you know... That's why Australia needs to make a change now because uh, what blocks the major parties from doing all of these things are personal interests. They fail to represent the people. They, they are loyal to the party. They're not loyal to the people that elected them. Um, there are corporate lobbyists like chemical groups, um, all sorts of groups that uh, want to block all these sort of initiatives. Um, there are global agendas, and unfortunately, Labor, Liberal, Greens, Nationals get caught up in all of those agendas. They've sold their souls to all of these agendas, and they've left the Australian people behind. So it's a perfect storm at this election with a whole range of issues uh, sort of colliding at once, where there is an opportunity, a very real opportunity. People... Um, don't necessarily believe there's an opportunity, but the majority of Australians are completely disillusioned with our two-party system. And what we have to do is provide ourselves as, uh, or present ourselves as a credible alternative. And with candidates like Aidan running in the seat of Perth, um, who is very articulate, uh, a critical thinker, someone who cares about the people and representing them, that's how we're going to do it. And I'm just amazed at the, uh, the quality of the people that have joined, got on board with the party. They're all great thinkers. They've all got, uh, they're all very articulate and passionate about issues. And the only way Australia is going to change if, is if we take, give the agenda uh, that is normally controlled by Labor or Liberal in the House of Representatives. We give the agenda back to the people and we present logical policies that the people believe in. That's how we unify the country and that's how we unilaterally address these issues very quickly and restore, you know, 
ourselves as a clever country, but also as leaders across the globe? Yeah, and look, that was going to be my next question, actually. Similar, you've just covered it, but uh, I'd still like to ask you, uh, have you had these sort of discussions with other political leaders and have they just dismissed you out of hand or are any of them interested? Who would like to ask, answer that? Um, Peter? I think, I think Andrew's actually best placed. I mean... We've been on this journey um, for you know just just under or just on twelve months uh, from a political perspective. I've dealt with many political leaders before, but and 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 you know most political operatives, political representatives, perceive Australia as a cork floating in an ocean where we are subject to. Um, what happens to us and we just have to pivot and deal with what happens to us as it's dealt by the rest of the world. Mm. Um, I, I, I just could not disagree more because Australia can take the front foot. We're in a very unique position. We've got a phenomenal nation. We're surrounded by oceans. We've got every opportunity that you can contemplate under the sun to re really be a leader globally and be more than just that cork popping around in the ocean. And um, I just think they don't get it. And I think they don't care about it because they care about other things. Um, and Andrew has dealt with a lot of political leaders, and I think he's well qualified to talk about their reactions. Yeah. Well, I'm interested here, Andrew. What have you got to say? Well, Andrew, need to look. I put, him, I put him on the spot there. No. Without, uh, no, it's fine. It's fine without... Um, without um, breaching NDAs and um, and non-disclosures on this. Um, look, I've 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 presented to both sides. Um, also, one of our colleagues, who's one of our major stakeholders as well, has also presented to both sides. Um, not just this, like, I, and I can talk about her openly because it's in the media right now. Her name's Sarah Reese, and she's what she's what I'd call the the national, the goddess of conser of conservation. She's her entire life is dedicated to the conservation of forests, and but she's also quite critical in terms of her thinking, and she's got a really great imagination. And her and I have worked together for a while now in terms of developing not just ideas for what's for what we can do, but also how we can shift our politicians in terms mm. of their thinking. Now, some of these politicians just, you know what, and I'll say it openly, they're fossils. The old, it's the old male, stale male mentality in there and they don't want to change anything. They're happy with the status quo, but the status quo is going to leave you with, leave it's going to actually going to break the cardinal rule between generations, which is you've got to leave something for the future generations. And what they're going to leave us is a disaster. They don't seem to care about that. There are some, though. There are some out there that, that are, um, and they're the fringe groups. They're the, there are a couple of, of political parties that hold minority um, in, you know, even in Victoria here, but they also hold the balance of power, um, you know, 
I've I've recently sat down with the Victorian Hemp Task Force, um, you know, and I think this is where we can unite. This is where we where we can unite left and right, mm-hmm. right on common ground, which is soil. Everyone agrees we need to fix the environment. The whole globe does, but what each party needs to understand is, and what actually the the Australian Federation Party, thanks to Pete, I've been able to get onto these platforms. Um, they're ignorant to sound policy. That's all it is. They're not necessarily unintelligent people. They're just ignorant to the consequences or the unintended consequences of continuing with failed policy and protectionism of particular industries, including the logging industry. Um, And I can tell you now, if if we were to sit down with the logging industry right now and say, listen, we've got an alternative to old-growth forests and logging our forests with hemp plantations that produce one acre of hemp produces in 120 days is equivalent to a 20-year-old radiata pine tree in its fibre content. Mm. It draws down three times more carbon, also draws down pollutants. And this is Um, for paper production, of course. Paper production. So, you know, when you look at what the governments do, what the government does is what political parties usually do is they look insular towards policy. But what if we forgot about policy? Let's forget about policy. How about we use true capitalism, not crony capitalism, Mm. competition, and provide the paper mills with a different, a better alternative and a more competitive alternative, which which is hemp. And then hemp can be actually used as essentially the basis for an entire green infrastructure innovation, you know, project in, re- in regional development zones. You know, we should be looking at our regional development zones rather than building more infrastructure in a city, more concrete jungles. We should be encouraging intergenerational farming and relocation and redistribution into our regional development zones and nurture nurture the land and that's what peter will be doing his first you know, sorry andrew sorry no no go on pete well, look, yeah. I, I i just don't think there's a will i mean you look at the greens um and they talk about all these things but decades later they're still old growth forest um uh, logging um and um you know we this is our first election that we're running at aggressively and we're, we're running with um, recycled signboards that have been around forever. Um, but no one's, no, not one political party with all of their dialogue about the climate and environment and greening Australia and all of those things, not one of them has decided they, they use single-use um, core flutes to promote their wares, and yet they claim their wares are... Uh, environmental sustainability and all these sorts of things. So yeah. the, the truth is, in my mind, there's no will, there's hypocrisy, there's no thinking, um, and we just need to get back to common sense thinking and look at what we've got around us to be able to bring change quickly. It is inexcusable. It, sorry, it's inexcusable that the Greens take taking keep taking money from the AEC, for example like $9 million in 2019, and bluntly, we're still old-growth logging 
um, in in three states of Australia that I know of, and um, and that should be the number one priority to deal with these sorts of Absolutely. things. I mean, they, they've got the influence. Yeah, and let me add to that, guys. Let me just add to that while we're here. I'm, I mentioned Sarah Reese before. Mm-hmm. Now, let me explain something just very quickly on this. I'm adding to Pete's point in terms of their desire to do so. Not only if their desire isn't there to do so, they're actually protecting the entire industry and a particular group being here in Victoria being Vic Forest. And you can look it up on right now on SBS. You could go to abc.com and look up Sarah Reese, Great Forest National Park, right? And you'll see that Vic Forest issued out a spy that now they issued out a spy to find dirt on Sarah for a particular reason, they wanted to shut her up, right? Mm. Now, this is, this is the corruption that's happening in some of our government departments that need to be held accountable. They're called Vic Forest. They should be protecting the forest. Instead, they're working as a lobby group for the logging, for the logging industry. And that's yeah. open to the public to read and it. That's the thing. I, 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 a cynic, um, we're, and I'll, I'll admit, I'm a, a little cynical when it comes to politics in Australia, um, I would almost go as far to say that um, there's actually been a drive to uh, really destroy this country. I mean, we have lost all of our industry. Any industry we do have is not going anywhere. Uh, um, we send all our, I'm, I too am from the mining industry. We, iron ore was what I was involved in over here in WA. That's, you know, 60% of the workforce's in mining, uh, we we do that mining. It's great, but w- we send it all overseas for it to be turned into steel. Why is that? Um, to me, um, we have all these natural resources. Why isn't um, materials development and things like these massive industries? being developed here in Australia. Why send it all to China? Why send all our uh, rare earth minerals over there so that we can buy it all back at a premium? Um, We don't make cars anymore. I think I mentioned that already. That drives me insane. Andrew, let me just say, in 2014, I think it was, I led a delegation of CEOs from the supply chain of the car industry. and we, uh, and we were leading a consortium to continue building cars in Australia uh, off the back of um, the, other, the other car producers leaving. And um, we were sitting in, in McFarlane's office, the then Minister for Industry for the Liberal Party, and uh, I had about eight or ten CEOs from the uh, supply chain with me. And, um, and we had made an application to become part of the automotive transformation scheme, which was what the government were using to fund the car industry. There was about $1.8 billion or $1.6 billion left in the fund. And I said to the minister um, in, at the commencement of the meeting that we wanted to be um, uh, accepted into the uh, automotive transformation scheme so that we could um, work as a consortium with the supply chain to continue building cars in Australia. And what the minister said next shocked me. What he said was, oh, there's no money left in the scheme. There's no money left. I said, minister, there was $1.6 billion left. What's happened to it? 
oh, you know, it's expensive for car companies to leave our country. And I said, Minister, are we paying the car companies to leave? He yeah. said, oh, well, you, you, I wouldn't put it that way. And I said, but Minister, what's happened to the money? I, and I, I went around the room and asked the CEOs to say exactly how much money they had had out of the ATS um, to help them transition or adjust to the loss of their industry. And we're talking, you know, minuscule amounts of money. And I then said to the minister, so, minister, we've funded the car industry, the foreign car industry in our country, around $32 billion um, over the last X number of years. Plus, when they pack up their bags and say they're going to leave, we give them another billion dollars to leave. Mm. And on top of that, we all know, the government's known for generations that these car companies are engaging in a thing called transfer pricing. Transfer pricing is when the head office imposes very significant costs on the subsidiary so the subsidiary never makes money. So as a consequence, what happened was we never, we never actually received any uh, tax from these companies and we handed out money to them year in, year out, every, every time they asked for it. And, uh, and so the cost to this country was about $35 billion of which we could have bought, uh, built multiple car companies that were, were owned locally um, and we'd still have our car industry. So we're very committed to bringing back industry um, and it doesn't have to be um, silly industry. So, for example, I travelled to the UK and looked at Lotus and Aston Martin and even Land Rover and looked at low-volume car production facilities, which are very, very profitable, and, uh, and, and looked at a way that we could continue the industry. But I have to say, it's either corruption or it's absolute incompetence that led to the death of our car industry when it could have been saved decades ago and we could have saved the Australian taxpayer billions of dollars if there was just some proper thinking or critical thinking that went into what was best for the people of Australia rather than all of these crazy transactions we make to try and keep foreign car production here whilst they're simply robbing us blind, uh, in my opinion. It's a can of worms, isn't it? Um, it's horrific. It's horrific. I agree. It's horrific. And I said to the minister, it was a national disgrace what had happened. And uh, I'm sure he would have thrown me out of his office if I wasn't there with the industry CEOs. Mm. Gentlemen, with that, thank you very much. Um, Aidan, I'd like to wrap this up with you. Um, obviously, um, you guys are out there in Victoria or over there in Victoria. Aidan and I are here in Perth. Aidan, I'd love to hear from you on how's your campaign going, mate? Is there any update for everyone? Yeah, yeah, there's um, pl plenty of updates. We've been having a great time over here in WA, despite <laughs> the uh, the state politics. Mm. Um, I've been out in the streets talking to people and, um, and I'd like to, I guess, bring it back to what you said about being cynical and what Peter has said about policies and, and the way they're being enacted and how they affect Australian people. The community as a whole, are cynical when it comes to politics because they're sick of the two-party system. They're sick of all of the promises that come around every three years and then three years after the election, nothing changes, nothing happens, the promises all go away and nobody hears from their elected representatives anymore. 
I think we need to take ownership of that, though, as a community, which is if you are sick of this, and this is what I hear from everyone when I knock on people's doors, they say, oh, look, I don't really like politics that much because they're, they're basically they're a bunch of wankers. We need to take responsibility and say, if you don't like that system, you need to change it. You need to stand up because there is a clear choice now with Australian Federation Party and with other minor parties. So change is here, but change is enacted by every single voter. So make sure that you're voting. Make sure that you understand how preferencing works. And if you don't like the system, take responsibility and be a grown-up and say, it's on me to actually change that. Talk to your family, talk to your friends, and we can change that. And I think it's great that we get that positive feedback from the community that they don't like what's going on in politics and they want a real option. So let's do something about it. And Aiden, how do they respond to you when you say that to them? Um, fantastic. Uh, you know, I go out and I would say 90% of people I meet are hungry. They're really hungry for change. Mm. You know, they, they just need somebody to actually stand up. Um, we're really fortunate in WA to have a lot of great people involved with the Australian Federation Party. And these are people like myself or like yourself, Andrew, you know, that are everyday Australians that are willing to stand up. And that's what's important because I think we're just sick of politicians. We're sick of career politics yes. ruining the country. And, and everyone in Australia is smart enough to, to see what's going on and, and, and recognise that. So now we've got to translate that into votes come this election. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's been very interesting. Um, I hope we can do this again sometime. Um, Absolutely. No. Sorry? Absolutely, anytime. Lovely. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you, Aiden. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Good to see you, Aiden. Bye. You too, Peter. As you can imagine, it's only a matter of time before we're censored off YouTube. So if you could please go over to Rumble and follow us there as well, that'd be amazing. Also, if you liked our content, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Bellman Report. With just $2 per month, you have no idea how much that'll go towards keeping us afloat. Thank you, and I hope you liked the video.